0: This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. Andrew Tate is a chemist from Vancouver, BC, Canada, who founded Tate Labs in 2011. His company is dedicated to putting plant medicine through rigorous scientific trials. Tate Labs has developed supplements sourced from wasted orange peels and based on traditional Chinese medicine.
1: I am president and director and CEO, I guess, of of, uh, Tate Labs. Yeah. And that's a company I started uh, in 2011. So we just uh, quietly celebrated our our 10th anniversary. And uh, yeah, I guess because I wear a lot of hats, that's uh, often a difficult question. So I don't, uh, uh, you know, as a, I guess... Mostly a solopreneur with a lot of outsourcing, and uh, the, yeah, I do everything from the, the. I have been doing everything from the janitorial work uh, all the way to uh, lab research, and uh, thankfully, uh, I don't do the manufacturing myself. We have uh, co-packers uh, that that uh, that do all that for us. But uh, but yeah, I guess uh, president, director, CEO. And what did you get your um, degree in? You went to um, University of British Columbia. That's right. Yeah. I did my PhD in chemistry at uh, UBC. And before that, I got my master's uh, in uh, also chemistry uh, at Concordia University in Montreal, where I was born and raised. And what is
0: it has on your Twitter bio? What is uh, naturopathic medicine?
1: Well, I mean, I'd say a better person to ask that question to is my wife, because uh, I like to joke that I married into naturopathic medicine. So uh, <laughs> we were, yeah. we were, uh, college sweethearts in in biochem as undergrads and and she went the way of of naturopathic medicine. Mm. Um, Now my, I guess my definition is quite a bit different than what you'd find on Wikipedia where it's mostly described as as, uh, something that's like unproven pseudoscientific, but uh, knowing a lot of naturopathic doctors and understanding uh, largely their, uh, their MO, it's uh, trying to uh, treat patients with both natural and uh, unnatural. Uh, scientifically proven and unscientifically proven methods with the sum total goal of helping the patient heal. Now, what the definition of healing is, is, is really an individual sort of thing. So um, if it means just de-stressing uh, from a little bit of uh, therapeutic touch, that's fine. But if it's also uh, delivering an antibiotic uh, or a vaccine, uh, then, then I know that uh, that's also uh, on the table for uh, therapeutic interventions. Evidence-based,
0: something I can't pronounce, (laughs) (laughs) eukaryote-derived plant and fungus medicine, plant medicine. So my question was, shouldn't all plant medicine be evidence-based, and why would you have to point that out? I think it's because maybe a lot of people sell snake oil, and that was another question I had about snake oil actually was legit. (laughs) <laughs> at one time
1: it was yeah well um yeah i could i could talk a lot about uh, snake oil and and I, I try to tell people that it's something that should be removed from the, the vocabulary because uh because just because of its uh its history and uh you know there's there's cultural appropriation um i guess uh, dubiousness um mm. that come along with that but uh, but yeah just in short snake oil was a real uh, traditional medicine that uh, has a lot of uh, omega-3s in it, and now science is showing that omega-3s can decrease inflammation, and how that affects health is, uh, I mean, in any number of ways, but uh, the, the key active ingredient in snake oil is uh, eicosapentaenoic acid, or EPA, mm-hmm. and uh, there's actually uh, a company uh, that's uh, that has a, a blood, or I guess a cholesterol-lowering uh, drug called Vasepa based on that same molecule. And, and strangely enough, they're all, we're also trying to see if they could get it approved as a, a drug against COVID-19. So, you know, from, from something that is snake oil uh, that is unproven, um, you know, from, from the point of view of uh, also the, the people who tried to popularize it in the U S um, so th- 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 it was anything <laughs> but snake oil, right? Like it yeah. was motor oil. It was um, you know, containing alcohol, yeah. So, so really that was, that's sort of the tie in with, uh, with Kratom, right? So, you know, when it, when it comes to, to looking at what's actually in there, um, you know, adulteration is, is a major thing. So snake oil could do a lot of good and was adulterated, uh, with so many different things as, as I was saying, but, but, uh, that's also what's kind of happening with, with Kratom now. And it's, it's kind of demonized be, because of that. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people describe themselves as, as advocates of, of plant medicine, yeah. And you know the advent of the importance of a plant-based diet and and plant-based medicines. It's it's clear that it affects you know it has uh, significant implications with uh, climate change, uh, sustainability, you know, environmental, you know, the well-being of farmers. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so instead of saying just I'm into plant medicine, uh, I guess I'm, I'm into uh, also um, you know fungus. So the plant and fungus being eukaryotes, right? Eukaryotic is just. Yeah. Uh, multicellular organism so um but that's not to say i'm not into single cell <laughs> organisms but more uh, just uh, n- to say I'm, I'm beyond just plant medicine so i thought i'd just throw that uh, that big word in there <laughs> you
0: studied uh, um traditional chinese medicine tcm people might think well that's uh old uh it doesn't work but i think you know if it's lasted that long some of it must work and you found one that does work which was uh orange peels which is uh what your company is uh, you're so you're basically getting uh orange peel waste from big oj the orange juice injury industry <laughs> is that that's how it's right yeah. yeah
1: so so we we get it from multiple sources uh also uh cast offs you know so if a uh, fruit doesn't make the grade you know it's too big too small you know not the right color then we also take that um but uh, yeah i could say that I'm, I'm sort of an accidental student of uh traditional chinese medicine so I've, i have a more i guess a formal academic background in chemistry but it was sort of just by by coincidence that uh, i stumbled across orange peel so it's so i, I think we have to be careful that uh, to, in saying that, orange peel itself hasn't been uh, approved as as any sort of therapy or, or medication to, uh, you know, treat, diagnose, or cure any disease, right? Um, okay. I guess all I all I sort of found is that because of the compounds in peel uh, and what others have done uh, with uh, in vitro animal experiments, that they show that it, it builds up the myelin. So myelin uh, is uh, the insulation on nerve fibers. So you yes. know your bo- your brain and, and you know your your body is full of nerve fibers. And uh, when people get older, uh, they have neurological diseases like multiple sclerosis. Then that that protective uh, sheath that myelin breaks down. So uh, it was uh, just uh, at the end of my studies, I was I was studying mechanisms of myelin breakdown.
0: The myelin breaks down. It's it's the protective sheath around neurons and. Is that what leads to multiple sclerosis?
1: Yes. Uh, and uh, there still isn't a full understanding of, of how that takes place. Like mm-hmm. there's an autoimmune component, like the immune system it attacks itself uh, and, and breaks down uh, the myelin and therefore the nerve fibers also break and uh there hasn't been um any real good uh well there certainly isn't a cure but any any real good medications that can uh improve quality of life uh, significantly uh so that's where i thought that uh, this this formula uh from chinese medicine called uh ninjin yoito which is like 17 or 18 different herbs and spices like including ginkgo ginseng uh shizandra, and mandarin orange peel um, could could rebuild the myelin in in mice. So that's where that was the mm-hmm. start of my journey uh, as going from an academic to I guess more um, into the business to see if we could you know get funds uh, from investors to develop uh, uh, an orange peel extract uh, as a drug. It's it's it's, it's like a neuroprotective. Yes, exactly. So so from what the mouse studies have shown, and there's been a few now, is that uh, with some of the compounds, some of the particular bioflavonoids that are are extracted from the peel, they could stimulate uh, the enzyme pathways that help to uh, rebuild myelin. So that's what I was studying uh, during my Mm -hmm. PhD. Uh, I was looking at how uh, human herpes virus type 6, uh, and particularly a protein made by this virus could inhibit that enzyme pathway so i I sort of beg the question like well if, if that's what's happening couldn't orange peel uh, reverse that damage and uh, you know th- that was sort of the it is for starting the business that oh maybe I could just you know get funding um start sourcing peel from uh, juicing and canning operations and and then uh, you know ev- hopefully eventually uh, make a a, um, a therapeutic a, a drug for for multiple sclerosis uh, from orange peel
0: I noticed like you sell it as it's like a digestive uh, aid too. Are you doing studies like maybe like case studies where uh, somebody's taking it for MS and, and it's shown good results?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so we do have some anecdotal evidence and I have mm. to be clear that, that our product, it's called MS Plus, Mandarin Skin Plus. Now the mm. M- MS, you know, it, it's uh, just, uh, you know, pays tribute to where we came from. But, but Brian, you're right in pointing out, you know, the, the digestive angle. So most of our customers don't know that history. Uh, so for us, it's just sort of like the inspiration that maybe one day we could develop uh, an orange peel based drug, but it's, it's largely because of the uh, regulations that we had to pivot to a supplement that uh, targeted uh, digestion, so gas, nausea, bloating, diarrhea. And furthermore, that's why that's where the, the Chinese medicine was used. So uh, orange peel uh, has been dried and, and used for centuries uh, to uh, combat indigestion. And uh, so that's sort of where I saw that, that it was the, the shortest path to market. Yeah. And uh, we really wanted to, to build on that science. So how does it work in the gut? What does it do? And so we've got funding for that. And so thankfully, others have uh, looked at, you know, the microbiome, you know, the, the microbes that live in the gut, particularly, and how that sort of impacts um, brain health. You know, um, 10 years ago, when I started the business, nobody was really talking about this like gut, gut brain connection. But uh, it seems that, you know, healthy gut, you know, what you eat, what you what you put in your mouth, and then is what is digested, you know, it's, uh, you know, everything else uh, is connected to that, like healthy gut, healthy brain, healthy heart, healthy lungs. Uh, so what have you? We, we like to say that you know this you know we, we did start in that neurological space, but uh, yeah, our, our product is not approved for anything other than just uh, just indigestion. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but this, we're we're continuing to add to the science, right. So it's through collaborations and fundraising because people are interested in seeing how, if you affect the gut microbiome, which is, I guess you can describe what we make now from orange peel as a prebiotic. So a prebiotic being the food for the, the good gut microbes. So the idea is if you raise the level of the good gut microbes, then you can reap those health benefits. So not just digestion, but maybe other parts of the body as well. And maybe the brain. Uh, one of my past guests, Nina Iden, uh, she had
0: topical steroid withdrawal, and uh, yes. part she used kratom for that a lot. I don't, I mean, you might have heard of her, but she asks about yes, if, um, how like kratom would be classified in traditional Chinese medicine. She says uh, they usually diagnose by heat, damp, cold goes by the taste of the herb. So I'm curious if it'd be classified as a bitter, cold, or what.
1: Yeah from what i've seen that it uh, it affects uh, different uh, meridians uh, but particularly the, i think the bittering side of things so I, I i i can't really speak more to that i think there's uh, uh what i looked up i mean there's uh i think liver liver yang deficiency so uh, or or lung, lung yang deficiency. Now, I think what's what's happening uh, with with uh, you know the on the scientific side of, of validating traditional Chinese medicine is that there there are compounds that uh, affect you know th- the body itself. Uh, and then other compounds affect the gut microbiome. So uh, there's those two sort of avenues of, of study to see exactly how these, how these like herbs work in Chinese medicine. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd say that, um, you know, along with, with, with all the other Chinese herbs uh, that uh, kratom would be sort of classified like that, you know, as, as looking at the whole body itself, including the microbes that live like in and on it mm-hmm. to really sort of say, okay, this is what it's doing, you know, in Ch- uh, like from a Chinese medicine point of view.
0: What you're doing is kind of like putting a modern scientific process to this these traditional medicines. I mean, is a lot of that going on? It seems like it makes sense and we should be doing it. And it seems like that's kind of what's going on with Kratom. Like, is is there a lot of that going on?
1: Yeah, I'd say that there's a lot of, uh, of studies of plant medicine. And so that's not new, but I think there is... Uh, uh, a drying up of the pipeline of drugs that are being produced based on the, I guess, the old way in which we we sort of view medicines, like from the single molecule point of view. I know you had uh, Dr. Sharma on, on your your show recently, and and uh, the good work that's being done uh, in uh, Chris McCurdy's lab, mm-hmm. you know, to look at uh, a lot of the different compounds that are in kratom. So I think that there's this. Um, more a greater appreciation for for the synergistic mechanisms that there's not just one single molecule that we should be looking at for for providing like a therapeutic benefit, but mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes like as is, as is the case with orange peel, there's many different things in there that could be that could be working together to deliver that overall um, I guess healing uh, aspect. You know, maybe, maybe it's just pain relief, but maybe it's also you know building up your nerve fibers, what have you. But it's not just Relying on one compound, but but several, and I think that's where the the laws really uh, need to change, because uh, I find that they're very restrictive in that uh, you know they kind of favor the development of of one uh, one molecule to bring to market as as that drug.
0: With kratom, I mean it's, it doesn't grow naturally here in the states or Canada, but. It's kind of like uh, I feel like people should be able to have a greenhouse or garden where they have plant medicine, even down to poppies. Uh, on I the agree. other hand, on the other hand, I think it should be studied like what you're doing with orange peels and everything else. Uh, in that way, a lot of people. Um, I hear from are afraid of maybe even what um University Florida is doing they're like oh they're gonna develop it into a pharmaceutical and that means I'll either have to be prescribed by it to a doctor and I'll loot you know I won't be able to buy it and I mean I, I hope that doesn't happen I, f- I feel like there should be a balance between uh, having being able to access stuff as medicine and and being able to access it as a
1: plant yes i i agree and it's because of those old laws that i mentioned the old regulations like so there's if you try to bring a molecule to market like in uh in the case of kratom you have uh let's say mitragynine as one of the key alkaloids right so if you Mm -hmm. have that studied under uh an ind which is investigational new drug uh uh, with the fda that you can't then sort of go backwards and say you know this is actually like a new dietary ingredient uh, or you know something that could be added to food so that probably has to change um i know that there was that concern with uh, cbd you know it being brought to brought to market as uh, epidelex uh, yeah. and that uh, you know now now that they're looking at uh, legalizing um, d- you know, different cannabinoids, uh, that, uh, that's a concern that, you know, oh, it's already approved as, as, uh, this, uh, this drug that you can't actually have it as a supplement. So, um, but I think you know, that's a unique case. Like if it's a more obscure sort of, uh, molecule compared to CBD and everybody knows what CBD is, but if it's something more obscure, like mit- mitragynine that not everybody knows, then I think that that runs more of the risk of the FDA uh, sort of saying, you know, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you can't do that. So there, there is a level of subjectivity with with these old laws. And I think that's what kind of got me, uh, I guess, fired up about pushing back against these old laws that that sort of don't favor uh, the the uh, clinical and, and more of the scientific validation of, of herbal medicine. So like, I'm all for the science, like the, to, to standardize and to make sure that, you know, what you get is consistent. Uh, and if not, then at least it's safe. Right. So, you know, what's in there, uh, you know, what you're, you're, you know, that, that you, you can consume it and not get sick or, or die. And I think that's, that's probably the, the biggest issue is, is safety first. Does it work like that with like the drugs? Like,
0: is there like an FDA type of uh, thing in Canada that, that wants to restrict plant medicine like explicitly that they've been wanting to restrict Kratom here.
1: Yes, so so the uh, the governing body uh, over uh, drugs and natural health products in Canada is, is is called Health Canada. So that's sort of the FDA's uh, equivalent. And uh, so I've had uh, dealings with them quite a bit over the years. Like I provide consulting services to to clients as well that want to bring their products, uh, like like cosmetics or you know oral supplements. Into mm-hmm. Canada, so uh, so I've been helping them and, and talking to Health Canada, but also uh, I guess that's how I I originally learned about uh, kratom and became sort of an unintentional advocate for kratom. Um, so I, I could tell you a little bit about that. Uh, my uh, my my friend, who's also sort of a guess a full time regulatory consultant that that submits applications to Health Canada, um, kind of called me on because she had uh, a client. And she needed my help on a project uh, to see about uh, getting uh, kratom approved for uh, sale and distribution uh, in Canada. So, you know, up until that point, uh, I hadn't really known much. And this was probably the end of 2017. So, you know, I had dinner with, with uh, my friend and, and the client, and and um, I learned a lot that evening uh, because before that, it was uh, you know sort of lumping kratom in with. Uh, you know, the mainstream media's perception of, of it, which is, you know, along with, uh, you know, spice, K2, bath salt. So kind of like yeah. the, the up and coming ills of society that it was like a potentially a, a, d- a dangerous uh, drug. Uh, but uh, I, I, I learned uh, more about the, the roots of um, its origins, you know, in Southeast Asia, and found out a lot about uh, the advocacy movement that, that had uh, taken place uh, the year before. Uh, so um, I understood that, you know, with with, uh, with Kratom that there, it, it really did have uh, a bad um, perception that was sort of pushed because of the uh, you know the opioid crisis and people claiming that it could could help with with uh, pain relief, that uh, the government just wanted it to go away, um, and not so much because of pharmaceutical companies wanting it to go away, but what I, what I was seeing is that it's more that it was uh, competing with uh, supplement companies, so that uh, if you had like another uh, pain relieving supplement, let's say like uh, like a turmeric or a curcumin, that uh, kratom could very quickly move into the scene and, and uh, be a, a Potentially a lot more effective than some of these other other supplements. So uh, so yeah, I I learned very quickly that uh, Health Canada uh, basically followed the FDA stance. Um, and uh, when I met with them to ask about uh, getting kratom approved, they just said, "Well, look to the import uh, alert uh, 5415 that was yeah. put out by." Uh, the FDA. And they just said, well, you know, they quoted that as, uh, you know, all, all the, the potentially bad things that that Kratom does. And they sort of like, hope that that would be case closed. But, uh, you know, I went so far as to, to uh, you know, push back and, and visit them in Ottawa, and, and really understand that, you know, they kind of uh, look to the FDA's guidance on that. Um, and, and they really weren't uh, interested, no matter how much uh, evidence, uh, you know, uh, in, you know, uh, usage data, you know uh, questionnaires uh, they look at. Um, they really weren't interested in in uh, having it approved uh, for for uh, Canadian consumers. So um, I do want to say one positive thing though. When when um, when I did find that out um, that you basically couldn't sell kratom in Canada, that um, the uh, CBSA, which is the Canadian Border Services Agency, you know, kind of like the Border Patrol, um, they allow. Every every Canadian citizen to import up to ninety days worth of, uh, of of kratom supply. So while you couldn't just go to the corner store to buy it, they still let everybody um, uh, purchase it uh, to, to, uh, to for their own needs. So so I I, I thought that was kind of uh, hypocritical, but uh, at least sort of uh, you know a, a positive sign that you know people could get uh kratom uh if they needed it for for whatever whatever use especially you know potentially like pain relief or or whatever they they wanted to use it for
0: yeah you you tweeted a, a thing that i was looking at about the natural products association um actually tried to get kratom banned this was last summer that's interesting to me it's it's it was a new uh uh, angle that I haven't even, uh, considered yet. And
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I'm all for, uh, discourse on, on, on these controversial subjects and, uh, you know, also looking, looking at the larger picture that, you know, if there really hasn't been evidence of, uh, misuse or, or deaths, which we, you know, it's, it's so, uh, blatant that there have been, um, sort of, uh, put it, putting kratom in a, in a negative light but yeah when it comes to the the mpa you know uh and and their their ceo uh dr dan fabricant you know th- th- to be to be completely clear like they're they're the two of the only accounts that have me blocked on Twitter for sort of questioning their stance but uh <laughs> um yeah it's it's uh, it was it was quite startling because uh, I think they just don't want to engage in that discourse but early on uh I guess prior to to his position at, at uh, Npa uh, dr. Faber-Kent was uh, part of the the supplements division um, in, with the FDA so you could see that yeah. uh, there there were letters written to to sort of crack letters written uh, by the MPA uh, to crack down on on kratom uh, and uh, I mean sometimes you know th- their stance is that you know they, they want to crack down on, on uh, even more um, you know proven to be dangerous um, supplements uh, supplement additives you know synthetic molecules uh, you know especially you know um, things that are that are in bodybuilding supplements um i could see that there's a, a a lot of subjectivity uh and rhetoric that when it comes to evaluating certain things like like kratom so yeah. i just want to see um you know thing, things like kratom uh and plant medicine in general get a fair shake right and i think uh I, the more people are educated on uh the old laws and, and especially how how drug laws are inherently racist uh, that we can see like these these racist roots need to be erased and that we can actually embrace people that that are potentially suffering from uh, substance use disorder and uh, embrace them as, as human beings so I mean I lived uh, uh, in uh, Vancouver's poorest neighborhood the one that's uh, sort of Canada's poorest neighborhood actually in Vancouver uh, Vancouver's downtown east side so yeah it was it was eye-opening I lived there for three years it, you- it was a, a new condo building that went up and I saw a lot go down there uh you know tons of of ods um deaths and uh yeah so i was right at the epicenter you know just uh, you know a block away from uh the infamous maine and hastings so yeah um but so i got a front row seat to opioid use disorder and i think you know in this in this battle um uh, you know, I guess on many fronts, right. The, the laws and and the people that are affected by them, you know, we, we have to really, uh, take a step back and see, you know, where these laws came from and how we can change them and, and embrace, you know, the people that are, that are suffering.
0: Do you uh, know uh, Gabor Mate? Because I read about that neighborhood in, uh, in his book.
1: Yes, he's doing a lot of good work. I don't know him personally, but I, yeah. I bumped into him at, at conferences and things like that. Yeah. yeah, when I first learned about about Kratom, like, he wasn't one of the, 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 the people that I reached out to. But but Paula Brown, who's a professor uh, at uh, British Columbia Institute of Technology, she's been an advocate for... Uh, at least you know, uh, keeping Kratom legal in order to study it further. So I, I've known her uh, for for uh, almost 10 years now and uh, you know I reached out to her, uh, Mark Swagger, I know you had on your show, yeah. and uh, uh, Darshan Singh. So I just tried to surround myself with the best scientific minds to to learn from these folks uh, like exactly, you know what what is the stance? you know and it was it was really exciting to see, you know, uh, Chris Bell's, uh, documentary come out, a leaf of faith. And some of the same people, you know, in my, uh, my, my personal, uh, um, Kratom hero friend, uh, Drew Turner as well. Um, it was good to yeah. see, you know, all these people that I'd sort of reached out to, 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 um, get their points of view. Uh, and and I have nothing against the NPA, and I think they they do as a whole stand for the the natural products industry. Yeah. But I I mean from from the point of view of change, like if you have a newcomer that even has a hint of of a safety issue, um, th- they will try to use that to to basically uh, block you out of the industry, right? So I mean I don't think there's there's any. Um, issue with kratom, uh, like to say leaf kratom or, or teas or, or things like that, competing with uh, the pharmaceutical industry, as as so many people kind of portray it as. Yeah. Um. It. it you know what you said before about the potential to have. Um, you know, kratom banned if they try to develop like the kratom alkaloids as a as a drug. I mean, that's a real real uh, valid concern. But I don't think there's any you know um, you know uh, secret agents from the you know uh, dubious actors from the, the big pharma that are that are coming coming for kratom. It's actually yeah. just you know people like in the supplement industry saying we don't want that competing with our products that we're already trying to. It's you just know, kind get of how market. the
0: system works. That's what I try to tell people. It's like. It's just kind of how the system works. It's, it's, the cannabis industry is going after Kratom in Mississippi, according to my contact in Mississippi. People in law enforcement are trying to make Kratom illegal, and they are getting money from the legal cannabis industry there to do this, according to the interpretation from the source I know. So it's kind of like... Yeah, it's crappy, but that's how the system works. Like, Budweiser has given money to lobby against cannabis legalization in the past and stuff like that. It's kind of... That's why I like to talk to scientists instead of <laughs> political people, because it's just ugh, deeply... it's. The more I pay attention to politics, the more deeply cynical and dark it becomes. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it. But you know, I think you know, uh, especially with politics, you know, there, there's there's often two polar opposites that are are portrayed by the media. You know, the left, the right. But I I think that for, to a certain extent, you know, people are are you know, in the middle. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, I could see that when it comes to uh, the drug discourse, you know, that, that there's, there's not just like drugs are bad and evil um, or you just don't do them, you know, alcohol is a drug. Caffeine is a drug. So I think you know, when we can actually sit down um, as, you know, maybe, maybe people are more left or right leaning that we can have a, a discourse Um, You know, there's a a good book that I read uh, back when I started my business uh, called uh, The Opposable Mind. And I believe that's by uh, Robert Martin. Um, And um, yeah, that that talks about, you know, the the biggest value comes out of working at the interface between two diametrically opposed camps. Like it could be, you know, um, let's say supplements and pharma. Um, You know, I guess that's that's the big example that I looked at. But, you know, usually if it's something that has to do with, uh, you know, the the consumer's perception or the, the individual's idea of like what are two things that are that are opposed, like, let's say food and medicine as well. So like if you can start studying like why there is that division then you can really see opportunity for not only like uh, discourse, but, but, you know, opportunities for, for business, for, for uniting people. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, new business opportunities. And there's just like a lot of positive positivity that can come from, you know, working at that interface.
0: There was a, uh, article you posted that, uh, there was like factual errors about Kratom this is from a Twitter a tweet that you did. And, I wrote an article about the uh, effects of kratom and salvia were, were confused, like they were saying kratom causes hallucinations, and the footnote was to this paper that Dr. McCurdy did about drugs in general that are legal.
1: Does this happen a lot in science, and is it is it frustrating? Well, you know, I think there's, you know, we all know what clickbait is. I think there's also that occurring in science, right? And uh, most recently, that was evident with uh, COVID 19, where everybody and their grandmother were trying to publish papers on COVID 19 just because it was uh, generating uh, views. And uh, I think it's just a matter of that. So if you yeah. can sort of like group it all together. And now, um, that, that, that paper uh, by uh, Dr. Michelin from, uh, from Harvard, uh, I, I uh, had an email exchange with him, you know, uh, trying to be as courteous as possible to say, listen, um, you, you kind of got these uh, two herbs mixed up and I think you should uh, make a correction. He was, was, was very courteous in return, um, basically saying, thank you for pointing that out. I think a lot of these uh, professors uh, try to um, put out papers you know, that are like the hot topic du jour and knowing that maybe it'll stir up conversation, uh, clicks. You know, maybe uh, get get <laughs> higher uh, number of references, impact factors. So all these things are just geared up for for clicks, and then ultimately uh, more funding. So if you can publish more papers, then uh, chances are the granting agencies like NIH will be like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll give you another million dollar grant to study this. So, but it's just like you just have to be curious enough
0: to find out whether they're wrong or right and and right. Uh, i think like the scientific process lets you do that so.
1: yeah i, I could say that they're like from my experience most of the scientists that i've talked to that aren't aren't even studying things like kratom uh, are are generally curious, right? Uh, a lot of a lot of them did get into the field of of, of being uh, you know in academia and being professors because of their their uh, intense curiosity. So yeah. if there's an opportunity to advance the science and and remain curious and and question some of, of these uh, you know from hit pieces to uh, you know very one sided evaluation of, of data, then they're all for it. So uh, one of my old collaborators, uh, head of the UBC Psychiatry. Uh, Bill Honer. I, I work with him on a on a study. Uh, looking at uh, brain samples from uh, deceased schizophrenia patients. So that's his angle. But, uh, you know, that falls under the category of mental health. I, I talked to him about about Kratom and he was intrigued. He had a, another couple uh, psychiatrists in on the meeting. And, and one of my you know, very good friends is actually a psychiatrist with a nutritional background. He's also very interested, um, I think, uh, oftentimes with, with scientists uh, like uh, professors, uh, and medical doctors, like there's, there's a certain amount of ego involved where they don't like to admit, you know, the limitation of, of their knowledge, you know, and uh, you know, I, I think um, you have to admit that to a certain point that, uh, you know, you, you, don't know everything and that you're willing to, to learn. So uh, the mm-hmm. people I've spoken to um, have been very, you uh, gracious in, uh, you know, in, well, they've admitted that, you know, they, they, they don't know much about Kratom and, and want to learn more. Um, but you know, when I started my business looking at orange peels, um, there were a few, uh, uh particularly medical doctors that had knee jerk reactions, uh, to say, ah, you know, man and orange peel will, will never be approved as a drug, you know? And, uh, I think that um, my my business was fueled on defiance. I'm like, well, we'll see. Let the science speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think um, there's a lot of negative emotion <laughs> against, uh, and there still is against herbal medicine. But uh, like I said, you know, that's what I stand for evidence based me- medicine. So if, if you can have something like kratom that that could potentially fight like the uh, like opioid use disorder, um, battle the opioid epidemic, I think uh, we deserve to continue. Uh, access to 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 this material and, and to continue to study it to its full extent
0: yeah yeah that's awesome and i, I, have, I have two more questions i want to ask and then i'll let you go but but have you ever heard of esciac tea it, that is a product of canada i think it's uh eastern canada but have you
1: ever heard about that yes i have yeah i i haven't consumed it myself uh it's uh you know uh extract from the maritime pine bark uh that's loaded in in uh polyphenolics and so i mean we're still learning what polyphenolics do you know that's uh considered you know a a healthy um non-essential nutrient but uh, i think that uh there's a significant microbiome component so i've seen that you know uh there's there's uh, uh i believe three main herbs in that formula that uh and it's all just you know uh, polyphenol phenol rich. And so, um, I believe that it's, it's affecting the microbiome and also having anti-inflammatory properties and, and, uh, by and large, a lot of plants offer the, those, those same things. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of potential in that, uh, that, um, like maritime, uh, French, French maritime pine bark.
0: Yeah. My mom took it. Like I've had her on the podcast and cause she had cancer and she's convinced that's what curator. And she did the tradition, like she did chemo and everything, but she also took this tea. And if it was a placebo, then it worked. <laughs> so I, I don't, don't think there's,
1: there's anything wrong with that. I yeah. think, you know, the, the mainstream medical establishment uh, doesn't fully value, um, these kind of, you, you, maybe you can call it a nutritional intervention, but, uh, there is a lot of opportunity there to, to embrace, uh, natural and, uh, and also, you know, conventional, right? So, I mean, you know, t- if you take my wife, for example, you know, she's a naturopathic doctor, uh, you know, she believes in, in natural medicine, but also conventional, you know, right now, as we speak, she's in line to get uh vaccine. So I, I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about, you know, working at that interface, I, I think there's, there's a spectrum uh, that we operate on. And I think there's opportunities for, for, uh, for both natural Uh, synthetic and conventional that, you know, it's not one or the other. And and we just have to figure out uh, how we can uh, work together uh, for mutual benefit.
0: You know, you you guys are doing the orange peels. Is there any um, other thing you're working on like that? That's uh, a plant derived uh,
1: medicine? Yeah, well, I mean, so it took a few years for us to articulate what we stand for as a business. And and we believe that food waste is medicine. So beyond just the mandarin orange peel, that's been our our prime focus uh, for the last many years. But uh, we've been approached by other scientists uh, that have like interesting discoveries around food waste. Like uh, there's a group out of Winnipeg that's got, uh, uh, I guess, an isolate from Lentil hull. Uh, which is a waste product, and that could be potentially useful for uh, heart health. Uh, another paper that came out last week uh, was sesaminol, uh, uh, you know, which is from uh, sesame seed uh, waste. Uh, and that could yeah. potentially treat Parkinson's so um, so those aren't our projects but uh, but we are seeing how we can work with with other uh, scientists that have these interesting like uh, early bits of data to to bring that forward but uh, but yeah even us like there's there's so many different grades of mandarin orange peel from just like the waste from the juicing and canning industry all the way to like the super potent peel from uh, the south of China so I visited there two years ago and uh, they actually have peel that's so potent that you know it they, you know, um, they believe it's the best. And scientifically speaking, it has the highest levels of the bioactives. So uh, they age it for, uh, for, for decades and pass it down through the generations as a family heirloom. And basically, you know, it it, uh, it fetches hundreds of dollars and sometimes thousands of dollars for like 60 year old peel. Um, And uh, science is showing, yeah, these, these peels are really good. Um, They've got higher levels of the bioactives um, and, uh, deliver uh, greater health benefits. So I think we're, we're at this point where we're unlocking the the potential of, of, of food waste and that, you know, it, it benefits the farmers. It benefits cl- climate change by reducing, uh, carbon emissions from fermenting compost. So I think there's really this upside, to, not just for human health, but planetary health as well. So yeah, I mean, it, if anybody has a, any ideas, um, you know, just, you know, contact me, my, my DMS are open I guess easiest is yeah. on, on Twitter, uh, t- at, uh, Tate log. Um, one, one, uh, dietitian, uh, I'm connected with is, is very interested in the health benefits of, uh, of, uh, pomegranate peel. So I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're also at a, a phase where we, we can put the science behind these things and not just keep it as like a folk medicine that we can actually show, you know, beyond a doubt that it's not only safe, but effective the uh the advice to anybody out there that uh feels kind of alone uh in in uh, their belief of of herbal medicine i'd say that you know you, you just have to keep keep talking to people about about your your interests and your curiosity uh get involved you know in in the uh the words of your last guest uh your famous uh guest uh, drew turner um you know just uh g- get involved and uh so on our on our point, Uh, We, uh, you know, when I first started the company, uh, I reached out to uh, a dozen uh, Mandarin farmers and uh, to understand, you know, more about the industry and to maybe source their peels. Uh, And only one of them got back to me uh, and uh, he uh, invited me to stay in his in his barn. He's in uh, northern California. And so finally, you know, uh, I got to meet him a week after graduation. You know, I hopped on a plane. I drove out to see him and uh, yeah, he was like, I will, you know, give you peels, you know, I can make marmalade. So we developed this relationship, super interesting guy. Uh, he's an ex detective uh, with the Sacramento police department. So he regale me with stories of, uh, cool. of all the suspects that he was hunting. And uh, one of his suspects, you know, he was hunting. It was a cold case for, for decades and he was still not giving up. He was offering to send me, DNA samples of, of suspects, you know, unfortunately I, 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 didn't have the resources to run them, but, uh, but yeah, his perseverance really, um, inspired me to not give up. And I could say that happily his, his big cold case was solved in, in 2018. And that's, uh, the infamous case of the golden state killer. So that's, you know, really? you never give up, you know, nice. you, know, you got to keep hunting. So, you know um that, there's a happy ending to that story that uh they put put that uh that that dangerous serial killer behind bars but uh, that doesn't yeah. often come up in it. you know it's not really a, uh it doesn't jive with with the uh the corporate image but you know just just knowing knowing somebody as as uh as dedicated uh as richard you know um that that's been an inspiration to me to, to not give up when it comes to um fighting for plant medicine
0: right on. Check out TateLabs.com. Check out Andrew Tate on Twitter at TateLog if you're not currently blocking him. This was not a paid advertisement, and we don't do paid advertisements. Please like, subscribe, review, comment, turn on notifications. The music is risy. The song is called Memories of Thailand. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.